0: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Canadian RegTech Association's podcast. This episode is part of the Founders Series where we'll invite the founders of some of the most innovative, high growth companies operating in the RegTech space and hear about their vision and some of the opportunities and challenges faced on their journey to grow their business. My name is Myra Meliodaire and I'll be your host today. By way of background i'm a partner at miller thompson and have significant experience supporting companies operating in the technology media and telecommunications sector i advise on domestic and cross-border mergers and acquisitions private equity venture capital financing and corporate finance i regularly counsel companies utilizing cutting-edge technologies including artificial intelligence fintech regtech and blockchain for those of you who don't know the canadian regtech Association. We are a not-for-profit organization focused on solving regulatory challenges through collaborative efforts between key stakeholders, including regulated entities, technology vendors, and regulatory bodies. Joining me today is Abhishek Gupta, founder of Sutra Management Consulting. Abhishek is a good blend of business consultant and academic. He has founded Sutra Management and an artificial intelligence-enabled regtech, Effia Technologies. Sutra Management Consulting is an analytics driven advisory firm. It leverages data, machine learning, and technology to help its clients solve a range of business problems from customer management, improving operational efficiency, and enhancing the company's profitability. Abhishek, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure is all mine. Great, great to hear. So uh, I gave a brief introduction to uh, the company, but it it would be great for the listeners to hear from you about what Sutra Management Consulting does and some of the services you offer. Yeah. So we
1: call ourselves analytics driven advisory and uh, we help uh, companies starting from Fortune 500 to startups uh, on their analytics journey. So you can imagine that when we talk about analytics, it has three broad components. Uh, the first is data infrastructure. The second is development and deploying the machine learning models. And a third is really uh, the technology imp- implementation to ensure that the customer is able to see what, what you have done at the back end. So we help the clients across the board, uh, across all the three life stages. And we also help uh, in some of the cases, uh, even uh, making the artificial intelligence product go live. So that's broadly what we do in
0: a nutshell. Very interesting. Now, it sounds like you're taking a bit of a holistic approach to uh, customer needs, which is great to hear. Um, So thanks for providing a bit more of an introduction to the business. I'd be curious to hear how this all started. So what inspired you to start uh, the company and what issues were you trying to address?
1: All right. So for this, I'll just take a step back a little bit before I started the organization. And uh, I was working as a consultant with uh, McKinsey. So during that process, uh, we interacted with a lot of clients. And you can imagine companies like McKinsey or Eddie Carney, they will be a board level advisor. And they clearly have a vision, which they can present to the board of directors. The CEO and CXOs are completely aligned with that. Uh, the biggest gap that we felt at that kind of time was the next layer. So while the board and CXOs are clear, but next layer is kind of the real significant gap in terms of the people who are actually going to implement these recommendations. So they couldn't relate to what is happening. There are too many operational challenges. And the organization struggled to hire companies like McKinsey's or even Big Force, which were extremely uh, expensive. And if you think of a technology firm, they were completely blinded by the core technology lifecycle itself. So they can't visualize the business process or the business case, which let's say uh, the strategy is kind of laying them out. So we thought that this is the sweet spot where we can operate. So we, we bring our problem solving ability and we connect business with the best in class machine learning knowledge. We do take a lot of pride in terms of the sophistication that we bring on board for the organizations, but eventually what we are solving is is, is really that uh, converting of technology into a business initiative, which is what majority of the companies are looking for, and that's where majority of the experiments fail. So you can imagine this is broadly uh, the, the the sweet spot, and, and 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 when we started, luckily you will see a lot of organizations now trying to jump into this uh, bandwagon, but I guess uh, mm. at that point of time there was very really clearly a sweet spot, and I guess we were glad that we, 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 take, we took that plunge then.
0: Got it. No, that that makes sense too as well. It's um, it's always good when you can um, see and cut through a uh, a piece of the market and and uh, and fill that need too. So that does make total sense to me. Um, so I know you're focusing on expansion into North America. I know mm-hmm. initially your uh, your product offering was in um, uh, Asia as well. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear. Uh, a bit of a contrast between the Asian market and the North American market and how the journey into the Asian market differed from that of, of North America. Yeah.
1: So one of the biggest difference, I would say, uh, between North American and Asian markets, uh, with just the exception of Singapore, will be just a vibrant innovation ecosystem that exists. So North America has a lot more vibrant uh, ecosystem which supports innovation. Uh, which uh, which promotes uh, the openness to availability of data, openness to uh, experiment, uh, uh, do research and development, convert it into a product, and even get funded. So I would say that's one of the most striking thing which 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 exists between these two markets. And I would say Singapore will be the only exception which can kind of even come anywhere closer to what North America offers. The second big difference uh, would be about the maturity and the competitiveness. So North American markets have have seen these artificial intelligence, machine learning for a few decades now. And which essentially means that, uh, uh, of course, the people understand what it is. uh, But having said that it's also extremely competitive because the players have sensed this a lot earlier and they are already in the market. So for for an organization like us, it's also a lot more difficult to build your first set of clients here as an outsider. Uh, but we also see the rewards being higher as well. So 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 it's it's difficult to penetrate, but we see this as as the, the market to be in. Um, and 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 you, there is another thing which I would like to highlight uh, is the the approach of people towards towards the projects like these. So when you look at North American market. I would say that when 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 you tell any concept or a use case to, to, a, to a professional here, he will listen to you. He will absorb it. He will be very clear about what he knows and what he doesn't know. Uh, and uh, then he will think about it. And whenever he'll start the project, he will be kind of ready. In Asia, I think the openness to experimentation is slightly higher, but many a times the thought process has not really been there. So it's kind of Iterative loops where you have started a project, then you realize in the middle of the project that there can be certain iterations. And we, as as project leads or consultants, have to kind of keep telling the clients that you need to, you had an end state, just stick to it and and realize it rather than uh, kind of uh, moving here and there. So it, to 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 summarize all of it, I would say North America is of course a lot bigger, more competitive, but more mature market. Uh, people have a lot more professional approach to what they do. And that's where you can imagine that while the the uh, toughness of the market or the competitiveness of the market is higher, but the rewards are, are are commensurate to it. So that's that's how I see it.
0: you awesome. Got it. So there's 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 more of a a concentration of of solutions here. There's a bit more of a a crowded market space, but the adoption. Yeah. Is a little slower, uh, maybe driven by the the amount of competition. Um, um, uh, would that be a good summation of of what you're uh, you're seeing as the difference? Yes, that's right. Great. No, that's that's very interesting. It's uh, it's good to hear that. Um, so I know initially when you're thinking of a business. The the key aspects that uh, people consider is is really fundraising. It's it's taking it uh, from the ideation to MVP to solution. Uh, I know you're in a bit of a different um, sphere than a, a pure technology company. There's a uh, consulting and value added services added on here. I'd be curious though to hear about how you funded the the business in the initial stages. And really, do you see that approach changing in the next twelve to twenty four months?
1: Right. So just to give you a bit of a background, we practically started it as a garage shop. So uh, we there were two founders. Uh, both of us left our job in McKinsey. And like any other uh, working professional, we had our mortgages and other things uh, on us. So we gave ourselves six months. And we knew that in six months, we'll be closer to our bankruptcy. So if it works, it's great. Otherwise, we'll just upload our resumes and, and look for another job. So this was basically the lifeline of six months' oxygen with us. Uh, thankfully for us uh, we got some clients uh, to start with and we were profitable from the first year so the business is less of capital intensiveness and more of operating income or sorry operating expenses so till the time you are able to keep that focus on uh, profitability uh, we can grow so that's lucky that's luckily for us that we didn't have to raise funds at that point of time and it really worked for us and the other part of it was primarily around growth and research and development so even that primarily came from internal accruals for us. Uh, Of course, it meant that we had to have a very tight control on overall company's profitability, uh, going down to the project level profitability, which we kept uh, looking at. And of course, it has its own little bit of downside because there are times when you could have grown a little faster, but because you did not have access to funds, so uh, you kind of compromised with the growth, but stayed uh, where you were. Now. Over the next 12 to 24 months, we do anticipate ourselves hitting that inflection point, uh, most probably by mid to end of next year, where we expect the growth to be exponential. And that's where will be the time when we will target to do our fundraising as well.
0: Got it. So up, to, up until now, you've, it was a bit of a, a uh, self-funding, bootstrapping, it, which uh, which is interesting. But are you seeing the the switch and approach to um, to be able to exponentially grow? Is that what you're seeing the the value add Absolutely. from uh, seeking Absolutely. further funding? Got it. Yeah, and you know, can but...
1: imagine that uh, uh, that's that's where it's always a chicken egg: whether you should lose the ownership or or get the uh, others to kind of manage the business. But it's a trade-off. So you start fi- fighting for a much bigger uh, piece of cake. Rather than
0: just keep holding on to a bigger pie in a smaller cake. Also, no, that it makes perfect sense. Um, so, moving uh, moving gears and switching gears a bit here, I'd be curious <laughs> to hear how your customer acquisition strategy has changed so i'm sure day one when you're uh, uh, as you described it in the garage uh, it, it was one uh, one hurdle to to get customers and now it's changed a bit i'd be curious how that uh, how that growth and and customer acquisition strategy has changed right right
1: so as you rightly said that when when you are uh, just a one or two people entity uh, it's primarily about our own experiences capabilities uh the uh, people that we knew so you, you kind of we started going and uh, reaching out to them saying that we have worked earlier either as a part of mckinsey or otherwise and this is what we do and uh there were certain people who have either been ex-colleagues or so they either kind of gave us small pieces to try us out uh or they referred us to somebody who was uh, who was looking for something similar and that's how it started. So we became the sales team. We were the one who were doing the contracting. We were also delivering the projects, And we started slowly uh, building a team which was there to deliver. But even when the team was delivering, I think sales and relationship management kind of kept staying with us uh, very closely because uh, we were very, very uh, finicky about the customer experience that we was kind of giving it. And we wanted to ensure that uh, irrespective of how the profitability of the project is, but it, we always are able to fulfill our commitment to the delivery that we have made to, or, or the promise that we've made to the customer. So that's one of the reasons why we kept it very, very close to us. And as the time evolved, then the team, of course, coming in. So today, for example, we have a dedicated client management team uh, of, of individuals who are not the partners. Uh, there are digital marketing, event participations, dedicated sales and uh, marketing budget, etc. Having said that, one of the things which we have still not left completely on these uh, teams is the uh, the promise to delivery so that still is some somehow linked to the partners because we we still believe that that's a promise which has made us go so far and that's something which irrespective of the size we don't want to dilute so it's kind of a mixed thing now there is there are te- teams who can handle client and uh, do the client development but the clients have to go back happy and delighted every time so that's something which is kind of a mix now
0: Got it. Very interesting. Very interesting how that's changed over the years. Um, I, I would like to just leave it with a, a one final question here I have for mm-hmm. you, which is, mm-hmm. I'd like to hear from you because it's a dynamic industry in which you, you're operating in. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges your industry faces in the next five to 10 years?
1: Right. So for us, the biggest challenge is, as you rightly pointed out, it's, it's uh, fast pace. Um, we have been lucky enough so far that we were able to anticipate the key themes. So a few years back, you would talk about deep learning, computer vision, uh, adoption of these embed- embedment of optimization with prediction, etc. There were technology-related themes like DevOps and Model Ops, and everything uh, was supposed to happen big. So I think at that point of time, so far, we were lucky enough to kind of anticipate them. Uh, and we were able to do proactive investment on research and development and make ourselves ready. Uh, but I see this being a continued evolution. So you will see a lot more of these self-learning models coming in and they will continue to be smarter uh, than what humans are doing or almost 80 to 90% as efficient as humans are doing it today. So your robotic processes, which are fairly somewhere in the middle of completely uh, rule driven to machine learning driven, even they will continue to evolve. So you will see a lot more sophistication in terms of how technology is going to shape human to machine interaction and that's a little bit scary because even in our industry we expect machines to start replacing a significant work that humans are doing today so it's it's about uh, you know keep anticipating that that next theme next trend next uh, sophistication that technology is bringing in and that has to be completely, we have to be on our toes to ensure that we are able to uh, not only anticipate, but uh, make ourselves ready as the industry uh, moves to the next curve. So that, I would say, is going to be both the challenge and the opportunity. If I miss it, then, of course, it will be the biggest challenge and I might be out of market very soon. But if I'm able to get it right, then, of course, that will become the biggest opportunity as well for me.
0: <laughs> okay, well, let's hope you knock it out the park. Um- Abhishek, it was an absolute pleasure meeting you today, and uh, and thanks for taking the time to to chat with me and uh, and to allow our listeners to hear about your story. Thank
1: you so much,
0: no problem, and and thanks to the listeners for tuning in today. Uh, if you haven't visited the CRTA's website recently, please do so, and please do stay up to date with all of the activities of the CRTA. Um, we have many upcoming uh, events, podcasts, and a lot of interesting conversations uh, with with leaders in the industry about some of the uh, emerging and important topics. So thanks again. And uh, until next time, uh, look forward to seeing you again.